Um, So we've been going through the genealogy in Matthew's Gospel, uh, looking at the people that he includes and why he includes them. And I just wanted to think back about why this list that hopefully is going to come up, the last bit behind me on the screen, of nearly impronounceable names uh, is in the, in the Bible at all. Um, this is the last section. I'm not going to read them all. But Timothy tells us that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful. So how on earth is this genealogy of random names to us uh, useful? Um, it reminds us that God's attention is on us as individuals. He doesn't just see us as a teeming mass of humanity spreading over the earth. He actually sees us as individual names and faces and personalities, each with our own stories and each with a plan. It reminds us that God has a plan and in his faithfulness uses us as individuals. And we've seen that despite various people's sinfulness, various weaknesses, God still uses them to bring about this plan. So specifically in this bit of Matthew's gospel, um, he's showing that Jesus is descended from Abraham, which connects Jesus to as the father of the people of Israel. And then later on in the second bit, it shows that he's connected to David. Um, To us, that doesn't seem much, but to the Jews of the time, it shows that Jesus was royalty. And the royal son of David was who all of Israel was waiting for, the one the prophets and the psalmists wrote about. So we're going to look at Joseph this morning. I'm sorry for those of you who don't like to talk about Christmas before December. We are in Joseph. Um, And Joseph comes up in the last bit in verse 16. It says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, whom was born Jesus, who is the Christ. Do you know, when I was pregnant with my first child, Sophie, we decided that it would be a good idea to go and get a will written. So we made an appointment with a lawyer, and not long before I was due, heavily pregnant, I'm going to put that in now, uh, we sat down with a lawyer who asked us an awful lot of questions, most of which I had no idea what sort of answers to give. But one of them was, what would you want to happen if you and your partner, husband, died? Who would look after your children or child at that point? I have to say, I wasn't particularly prepared for that question, and uh, it did bring a few tears. I'll blame the emotional state of being pregnant there uh, in the lawyer's office. Do you know, it's a really hard thing to think about your child as being brought up by someone else. That's not to say that I didn't think we would make mistakes, which we do and are reminded of every so often by our children. But actually, we still want to be there for them. We still want to be involved in their lives. And why am I telling you this? Well, God had to choose someone to bring up his own son. Yes, there were some criteria, but I don't think I'd really thought about that before. We tend to think of Jesus as his adult ministry and not that section when he was actually a child. It must tell us quite a lot about Mary and Joseph that God chose them as parents for his son. God trusted them. Jesus had to learn many things as he was growing up. Joseph and Mary would have had an influence on his life. God chose them for a particular job, and it was a very special job. God honoured Joseph's integrity by trusting him with great responsibility. 
Why is it that Joseph had God's trust? I guess most of us know little about Joseph apart from what we remember about the Christmas story. He's often someone we gloss over briefly without realizing the impact his choices had on the life of Jesus. He doesn't get a lot of mention in the Gospels. He doesn't say anything. In fact, he was a descendant of King David, and this is important as Matthew is trying to emphasize that Jesus comes from the royal line. Although you might say that Joseph wasn't Jesus' true blood relative, the way Matthew expresses that um, Joseph was the husband of Mary, it's there to show that Joseph was Jesus' legal guardian. And so Jesus is descended from King David, and so a royal successor. Let's look at what the Bible says about him and then see what we can learn from his actions. Most of Joseph's story comes from the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. I'm going to put the two together so that we can follow the story through. So first of all, in Matthew um, chapter 1, he continues with, Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he he called his name Jesus. That same story comes up in Luke, and Luke then continues this story with this. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, and the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. That shows us and reminds us that Joseph was a man who followed the traditions and practices of the Jewish law. And it was while they were there at the temple, 40 days after Jesus' birth, that Simeon, a righteous man, and Anna, a prophetess, that's how they're described by Luke, both meet Jesus and recognize that he is the one who will bring salvation. If we flip back then into Matthew's gospel, and he describes how the Magi have been and brought the gifts Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You all know the Christmas story. Um, And then he continues with this. When they'd gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, as in Joseph got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. 
The story continues. Herod dies, and it's safe for the family to return to Israel. And Matthew continues, after Herod dies, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those of you, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judah in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. So you notice that God speaks to Joseph in dreams and in both passages, an angel appeared and straight away, Joseph gets up and acts on the information. The next time Joseph comes up into the story is when Joseph, Jesus is 12 years old and they travel to Jerusalem for the Passover, as was the custom. And it's thought that actually Joseph died before Jesus started his earthly ministry. So basically we don't see him in the Gospels after that, unlike Mary. So what can we learn about Joseph? Um, I want to show you that three things. He was a righteous man of grace. He was a man of faith and that faith led to action. And he was a man of obedient obedience. So first of all, if we go back to that very first passage, uh, Mary and Joseph were pledged to be married. Now, that didn't mean they had sexual relations, but it did mean that it was a much, much more binding relationship than our modern day engagement. It would only have been broken by divorce. So it's not, it's a serious thing. And as if to emphasize that, Matthew at this point refers to Joseph as her husband. She's found to be pregnant. In this culture, Mary's apparent unfaithfulness carried a grave stigma. It was grounds to divorce, and under Jewish law, she could have been stoned to death. So we're talking about a serious situation here. I think our English translation is slightly lacking in emotion. It says, he considered this. I have to say, if it was me, I wouldn't just be considering it. I might be using some stronger language than that. Um, And the Greek word used actually has two meanings. It says he pondered it or considered and he became angry. And I think, isn't anger a natural reaction in that situation? Do you know, we all get angry about all sorts of things. Things that our partners do, our parents do, our housemates, our friends, they, they all make us angry. But it's what we do with that anger that is important and is notable here for Joseph. Joseph was upset, but in his anger, he also wanted to treat Mary well. He didn't let his anger and upset cloud his judgment. He thought he'd been personally wronged by her, and yet he was sensitive to Mary's shame. The verse before puts it, he was a righteous man. Other versions tell us he was faithful to the law or he was a just man and unwilling to put Mary to shame. Being a righteous man here uh, shows he wants to follow the law. He made what seemed to be the best decision. He was going to divorce her quietly. I guess he struggled with that decision. He loved Mary. He was engaged to be married to her. And yet she seemed to have greatly sinned against him. And I guess, like many of you, 
he struggled with that decision. He made, a, he made a decision. He clearly feels at peace with his decision, and he falls asleep. In Joseph's mind, mercy has triumphed. He's going to divorce her quietly. He could have acted severely when he thought he'd been wronged, but he chose to offer love and mercy. And isn't this a reminder of just how God treats us? We deserve punishment for our sins, and yet he extends his hand of mercy and grace to us, welcoming us into his family. And haven't we just been reminded of that beautifully this morning? However, this isn't what happened. He didn't get to divorce her quietly. God has a much bigger plan here, so God comes along and interrupts his life. While he was asleep, an angel comes to him, and the angel addresses him as son of David. Joseph was was viewed as David's legal heir, as royalty. And that's important, as the Old Testament prophecy reminds us that the saviour is to come from the line of David. The contents of the dream must have been quite startling. There's nowhere in Jewish literature, which is what Joseph would have known about, that talks about a virgin birth. I mean, it's not a regular occurrence now, is it? This was a brand new idea. Would Joseph have accepted it without an angelic visitation? Matthew quotes a verse from Isaiah The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, to us, the meaning of that verse is really, really obvious because we're looking at the Old Testament and all of the New Testament and the whole of Jesus' story. You know, we're in a privileged position. But actually, Joseph was just looking at the Old Testament. And when I went back to that verse in Isaiah, my study Bible has loads of other random explanations for that verse. Nothing to do with Mary. So I'm pretty sure that Joseph, a devout Jew, would have known his scriptures, but probably wouldn't have interpreted it in that way. And certainly wouldn't have expected it to impact his life. But also, this angelic visitation would have been very comforting. He could now marry Mary and become her protector, providing for her physical needs and defending her honour. He was willing to extend grace to her. And, And it made me think, are we people who extend grace to others? Do you know, sometimes that might make us unpopular with others. Sometimes it takes a bit of bravery to be different, to talk to someone no one else does at school or at work or at university, to go over and sit next to the person who's sitting on their own in the canteen and include them. Do we take time to react like Joseph did? I know I'm a teacher and I can be very guilty of reacting first and then thinking afterwards when a situation arises in a classroom. So Joseph was a man of grace. He was also a man of faith and action. Presumably, it was a tight-knit community. He would have faced a lot of gossip. People talking about him behind his back. Everyone knew him. And presumably it became fairly obvious that Mary was pregnant. It must have taken some strength of character, some boldness, some daring and courage to stand up against that and take Mary as his wife. Can you just imagine the conversation that he must have had with his parents? Yes, I know she's pregnant, but an angel appeared to me. I mean, I have to tell you, if my kids turned around and said that to me, I'd be telling them, no, 
Definitely not. And, and the, probably they were having the same conversation with the rabbis. You know, actually, it was an angel. But his willingness to have faith in what he knew, his childlike faith, his faith in God that he knew, who, a God who he knew would be faithful to help him, he went ahead and he probably against all human advice, married Mary. And that wasn't just a one-off action either, was it? Actually, that step of faith would have consequences for the rest of his life. He was going to be the father to Jesus and face the gossip of the community. He was going to have to bring up a child that effectively really wasn't, didn't, maybe didn't feel like his own to start with. And I'm not sure that being a father of somebody who was perfect would be particularly easy. So he was a man of faith, and that faith led to action. He was also a man who obeyed. He clearly followed the instructions of the Jewish law, and we're told on the eighth day Jesus was circumcised, and then on the 40, at 40 days the purification rites were carried out. Later on, we hear that Jesus was taken back for the Passover feast and when he got lost. Joseph followed the laws and the customs of the time. But more importantly, he followed the instructions of the angel to marry Mary. After the Magi visit, he has another visit from an angel telling to get up in the middle of the night and take his family to Egypt, a strange place for him. The passage says he basically did that. He got up in the middle of the night, he left for Egypt. There's no hesitation. Joseph has heard from God and he acts on it straight away. And again, the same thing happens when Herod dies. He ends up going to the land of Israel. Each time Joseph gets given an instruction, he follows through. He was a man who was obedient and he was obedient to God. I have to say when obedience, we're talking about obedience, actions definitely speak louder than words. That obedience had personal consequences. For Joseph, marrying Mary would have brought shame and a choice of not consummating their marriage until after Jesus had been born. Joseph obeyed one step at a time. He didn't have the full picture, like we do. He didn't know that having gone from Bethlehem, he wouldn't return for some time. He didn't know that he would have to flee to Egypt in the middle of the night and presumably have anxious nights on the road, wondering whether Herod would find them and kill the child, and presumably not be particularly nice to them. The angel tells him, do not be afraid. Obedience doesn't rule out fear. Joseph would have been afraid and worried about taking Mary as his wife, but he had great faith in a great God who trusted him with everything. That bit in the Christmas story where we hear that he takes Mary with him to Bethlehem. Actually, that probably was quite unusual. Men used to go and do all the official business. It's quite probable that he took her with him because he was worried about what would happen to her if she was left where she was. She was worried about what people would do to her. Luke tells us that when Joseph and Mary took Jesus to be consecrated in the temple, Simeon took him in his arms and said of him, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Then Anna, the prophetess, 
spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. This must have come as a great encouragement to Mary and Joseph. When we're holding on to God's promises in a hard situation, encouragement is important, and God knows that. He often brings a word of encouragement at the right time. And if you're in a hard situation, ask God. Ask God for a word of encouragement, something that will lift you up, something that will help you hang on to the faith that he's given you. God took a humble, God-fearing man who trusted him, but had a pretty unremarkable life. Do you know, he was a carpenter. He was engaged to be married. Many of his peers would have been in the same situation. But God took him out of that situation and turned his world upside down. Joseph had a choice, a really stark choice. Was he going to follow God or was he going to go his own way? He chose faith and obedience to follow God. And that came with personal sacrifice. And it can't have been easy. And it wasn't a one-off personal sacrifice. It, It will have gone on and on and on. We can learn from this about acting promptly when God speaks to us, testing his word with others, and being bold in following his commands. But you know, why did Joseph do all of this? What was the point? God interrupted his life. He was living an ordinary life, following God, doing the normal everyday things. God came and interrupted it to do a very special job of raising Jesus. Realistically, raising children is often very mundane. For Joseph and Mary, there would have been the normal everyday things to do. Joseph continued his job as a carpenter. He trained Jesus and presumably his other sons to do the same thing. He would have raised them in the Jewish laws and traditions. But it was everyday things that he was doing. Do you know, I don't think his life would have made a great Instagram story. It's fairly normal. For all of us sitting here, and me included, who've got a relationship with God, we can all tell of a time when he interrupted our lives and we came to know him. We've got a story of a time when we didn't know God and then God came and interrupted us. He knocked on the doors of our hearts and in his graciousness, he waits for us to answer. Maybe you've come this morning and you don't know God. Maybe God is knocking on the door of your heart and asking to come in. God sent his son, Jesus, so that we might know him and have relationship with him. That relationship can be in the mundane, ordinary, everyday activities of life, but it's an ongoing relationship full of grace and truth that God wants to have with us. And it brings something different to those boring, mundane, everyday activities. It brings a life and a joy that we wouldn't necessarily experience. But, you know, having interrupted us once and bringing us into relationship with him, he doesn't leave us on our own. And I was thinking back, and the best example I can think of for this for me was uh, when my husband, Phil, and I were going out. I was living in Newcastle. He was living in Oxfordshire. And uh, every few weeks, one of us would drive the five hours to spend the weekend at the other place. Um, At the same time, Matthew and Anne were in the midst of talking about coming up to Edinburgh and starting a church. So it was quite a while ago. Um, Anne, as she does, 
sidled up to me one evening and said to me, uh, so Karen, you know, this is obviously a difficulty. You're here, he's there. What are you going to do? I don't know, I say. And she says, well, um, why don't you consider coming to Edinburgh? And I was thinking, but I really like being in Newcastle. I'm really settled here. I've been here for a long time. I know lots of people. I'm, you know, I was fairly adamant I was staying there. And so I said to her, yes, I'll think about it. <laughs> Obviously, I didn't. I consigned that one on Monday morning to the back of my mind. Um, she asked me several times. Each time, I gave the same response. It's a good job that they're not here this morning, isn't it? Um, and uh, then one Sunday evening, I had tickets booked to go and see a concert. And I got a message to say the concert was cancelled because of snow. This, this was uh, September, November, October time. It was a bit unusual. Um, so I thought, oh, well, never mind. I'll go to the prayer meeting instead. Because uh, that's what you do when you're single and you... Anyway, I know. It was a good job I did, because one of the leaders get, got up halfway through the prayer meeting and gave a prophetic word. That prophetic word was, for some of you, Newcastle is dead. It doesn't sound much to most of you sitting here. I have to say, in that moment, I felt God speak to me, and I was so excited. I was going to move to Edinburgh. Phil, 300 miles away, obviously knows absolutely nothing of this. And uh, there are things I hope I have learnt through being married, but phoning somebody up at 10 o'clock on a Sunday night and saying to them, hello, I'm moving to Edinburgh, probably is not the way to break it to somebody. Um, but Phil took, although he took a few days to catch up with the plan, actually God spoke to him as well. And uh, God in his grace, it reminds me that God in his grace continues to be involved in our lives. He's got a plan for those lives. And he continues to help us on the way to fulfilling that plan. Sometimes that comes as small nudges along the way. And, you know, a reminder to chat to that strange person out on the other side of the canteen. Or that person in class who nobody else wants to sit with. Or, you know, somebody else that you meet on your everyday life. Um, and sometimes it's a big thing that totally changes the direction of your life. And, but he's reminding us that he has a plan for our lives. And that plan is important. He continues through all of it to help us, to teach us, to encourage us, just like he did with Joseph when they went to the temple and they met Simeon and Anna. Now, God spoke to Joseph in lots of dreams. He doesn't speak to most of us in lots of dreams. He uses his word and he uses other people he can speak in dreams. I'm not saying that. Please don't get me wrong. But, you know, actually, in, in his grace, he, he uses other things often. Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10 says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this, not from yourselves. It's not something we've done. We can't do anything to earn it. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I think that's really comforting that, you know, wherever we find ourselves, whatever situation you find yourself in, whatever hardship, trial, excitement you're at, God has prepared in advance good works for us to do things for us to do.
God is involved in our every ordinary, everyday lives, making them extraordinary. God chose Joseph for a specific task. I have to tell you, if you come and tell me you have a dream exactly the same of Joseph as Joseph, I might be asking quite a lot of questions. But God has given us each specific things to do. He's placed you in a specific place to be of influence. He hasn't placed anybody else there. Do you know, it's easy to look at people in the Bible and think, yes, but they were given a massive task. And do you know that they're different? But actually, God's picked each of us to be where we are at that moment, at that time. It's only you that can influence your own workmates, your friends at school, your fellow students. It's only you or me that can raise my own kids, um, that can you know, give them a word of encouragement when they're down. And yes, we do all of this in community. We're not individuals working on our own. We do this as part of a church. But actually, do you know tomorrow morning when I go out into my classroom, it'll be me affecting those kids' lives. And it'll be you sitting, talking to your workmates, not the rest of us. And God encourages us to keep going with that. God interrupted Joseph's life for a purpose. God has interrupted your life for a purpose. He's pre prepared for us good works to do, for us to do. God was prepared to show Mary grace because he understood that God also extends his grace to us. It's God's grace that brought us into relationship with him. And it's God's grace that enables us to continue with that relationship with him. So let's enjoy that relationship and let's enjoy worshipping him.